At the Good morning, I'm James Henry. I'm the pastor here at St. James here on the West End, and we are delighted to have you with us in person and online. Uh, Today's message, which isn't quite yet because it's a centering moment, but today's message grew out of a conversation um, on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock on Zoom. Uh, I uh, gather with a couple of other folks, and we do a little uh, time called Soul Space. And we do Lexio Divina, which is sacred reading of a scripture text, very short. We read it three times aloud so that people can hear and reflect and see what God has to say. Now, on Tuesday night, when we read it together and heard things, I realized this was the text I needed to talk about today. But this morning, I heard a whole different piece of the same text as I was reading it to myself uh, as I was sitting in my spiritual chair. And it was a piece that I want you to hear as well before we sit for a moment of centering. And it's two words, take heart, take heart. You know, as a person who watches and reads and hears the news, who watches the world in which we live do what it does uh, to itself and to one another, it is often hard for us to feel grounded to take heart. And yet, from a place of faith and a place of hope, I heard God saying to me loudly in my chair this morning at 5.15, take heart. James, take heart. And what I want to say to you who are listening to me in person and you who are hearing me online, uh, either now or uh, in the days to come, maybe in the years to come. I mean, these things are on YouTube for uh, apparently forever. Um, whenever you are watching this, I want you to take heart. In the midst of the chaos and the craziness, take heart because you are not alone and uh, God is present. So we're going to take just a moment to breathe in and breathe out. I know that you've been doing that or else... Uh, we would be calling 911, um, but uh, breathe in and mindfully take heart. And breathe out, knowing that God is closer to you than that last breath you breathed in. Breathe in and release it. As you breathe in this next time, be thankful that you have breath, that you draw breath now. Breathe in. And breathe out. Anytime you find yourself being lost in the moment, because you're no longer in the moment, you're in the next moment or in the former moment, catch your breath. Come back to now. Be thankful. I told you a little bit in the centering moment exactly how we came to have this text as our uh, text for this morning. 
Uh, it is Mark, uh, for those of you who want to look it up, it's Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. You know, when I was growing up, I knew that I wanted to be seen, heard, and valued. Now, when I was growing up, I also took that seen part quite literally. So I thought it was very important that I be seen doing good things, that I be seen getting awards, that I be seen and heard. Some of my classmates were sharing, my high school classmates were sharing just in the last couple of days that 41 years ago, 41 years ago last night, I graduated from high school. And the valedictorian and salutatorian should have been probably the speakers, but instead my best friend Zandra and I, the president of the class, uh, my senior class, got to speak. And I remember how important it was to me to be able to speak to the class and to try to offer those uh, truisms that we think are so true at age 18, when we are certain we know all of the truth there is to know. But as I look back on the speech I gave in those days, the speech I gave was filled with quotes from somebody else. Because I thought that in order to have something to say, I needed to be able to quote people that people actually uh, admired. So I quoted from the Bible, I quoted from the Scout Law, I quoted from Khalil Gibran, uh, the writer of The Prophet. I, I uh, quoted from, you know, uh, any number of other people. I suspect in that speech, with the possible exception of my own voice in which I spoke, that really there was no me in the speech at all. I valued my life based on how many pieces of paper or awards I got. I thought that to be seen meant to be important. Uh, and so I imagined myself going into politics. Thank God I did not. But uh, I don't know how many times I would have sold my soul by now. But I didn't. I resisted this work for a long time, and then I started doing this. Now, the challenge, of course, is when you start doing this preachery thing, it's very easy to think, listen, there are people who listen to me every Sunday morning. Some of them are in person, some of them are online, except when I started, there weren't any online people because there wasn't even online. Uh, that's how long ago it was. But imagine people listening to me and seeing me and hearing me and thinking what I say is important. Wow! Being seen seemed like uh, an empty desire to constantly have people fawn over what I had to say say how great I was. And it wasn't until much later in my life, I wish I could say when I was a very young man, I got over it. But it wasn't until much later that the idea of being a bishop, I've seen their job, have no interest in it. The idea of serving a super large megachurch somewhere, I've seen that job, 
and I've also seen a lot of people fall very hard from that space. All of that kind of passed from my interest because that kind of being seen is very empty. Just being seen by other people as representing something that you think they'll want to hear or want to know it is not to be seen or heard or valued as our friend Brene Brown tells us about. So I want to read to you a story. This is a pivotal story in the Gospel of Mark. It's pivotal at the end of, the, of chapter 10 because right after it is the narrative when Jesus spends the last week of his life in Jerusalem leading up to the crucifixion, what we call the Passion Week. But this is the last kind of transition. He's on the road to Jerusalem. And he stopped off in the town of Jericho. His disciples uh, are with him. And so let me read this story to you. Listen carefully for a word from the Lord this morning. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. You know, I could spend, I, I, I've discovered ever since Tuesday night, I could spend countless hours fathoming the depths of this. And I, I began to understand, you know, in the ancient monastic traditions, nuns and monks uh, would maybe spend days poring over a passage for hours upon hours alone in their cell, trying to fathom all the depths of what it might be able to say. And as I read this text this week, on so many levels, it did the exact same thing for me. It's the story of one of the last things Jesus gets to do before he goes to Jerusalem. I've already told you that. But there's some interesting things about it. We're told that there's a blind beggar at the side of the road whose name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Now, what may be interesting to you Maybe it won't be interesting to you, but I've read at least some commentary on this text that leads us to believe the man has no name. Bar Timaeus in Aramaic means son of Timaeus. 
And Ben Timaeus, which would have been the Hebrew, means son of Timaeus. So to say Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, is to say this guy, this blind beggar, was son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. Doesn't even get his own name, perhaps. Doesn't even, you know, I would be James Ben William or James Bar William because my father's name is William. But if my only name given name was uh, that, that you called me by is Bar William or Ben William, then that would mean I didn't have a name. I was just the son of William. Not that it isn't great to be my dad's son. The truth of this passage is this is a man who in a, that society then was discardable, was a throwaway person at the side of the road begging. That was his living. That's the only way he survived was begging at the side of the road. And so here we find a nobody on the side of the road. And if you read the Bible carefully, that's what the whole book's about. Nobody's at the side of the road who God calls out. God calls out to. But this story is important because this man, I don't know how long he's been sitting on the side of the road, and I don't know, maybe his name really was Bartimaeus, but an argument can easily be made that he's nameless. The nameless nobody at the side of the road, nameless and a nobody because he's blind and he can't contribute to the community. He can just sit there and wait somebody else. And so that's what he does. And he hears that Jesus is passing by. This may be his one chance. His one chance. And so he calls out. This nobody at the side of the road calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what do the well-to-do followers of Jesus say to the man? Shh. Shush. Be quiet. You don't need to be heard. Perhaps even you're not worthy to be heard. Be quiet. The master is passing. Be quiet. One of the stories that came out of our conversation on Tuesday night uh, in Soul Space, Butch Barton told us the story. Butch is one of the folks in Soul Space. Mark Hayes and I are the other two currently, at least regularly in Soul Space on Zoom. Butch told us the the story of a, a friend of his called to ministry who um, started a church. And now the name of the church escapes me. Uh, but it's a church for those who would be shushed in other places. For special, it's a church for families with children who have special needs. Uh, Children who um, might make noise during worship, who might uh, be loud during worship, 
who might uh, communicate in the only way they can, not by singing the hymns, but by other kinds of noises and shuffling. And who in many congregations would be shushed? This is a congregation for those who will not be shushed. He told us that story. And that ought to be the congregation for all of us, everywhere. If we get so interested in the order of the way that things flow in worship that we don't let everyone make the noises they need to make, then we've missed the gospel. We have missed it. This man at the side of the road is being shushed. Be quiet. Don't speak in church. Let the preacher do that. Like he knows anything. Or she. Or they. But this blind beggar will not be shushed. He calls out louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops. And in the New Revised Standard Version, it says, Jesus stood still. Now, when I hear about stillness, I think about my meditative life. Those few moments in my 20-minute sits uh, for centering prayer in which I actually, my mind is stilled, my thoughts are stilled, my feelings are stilled, and I'm just open to whatever God will do. And I just picture that word stillness brings that sense, except Jesus carried his stillness wherever he was all the time. He stood still for just a moment. And in the midst of standing still, I can only imagine he saw the blind beggar. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He saw him. And he didn't just see him as another person sitting at the side of the road randomly. He saw him. He saw him. In that moment, Bartimaeus was seen. He was seen. And so Jesus says, send him to me. Call him. So the disciples say, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. I hope, with the deepest hope in my soul, that none of you in this room or online feel unseen. But if you do, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. 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 Not just me, the guy who gets to talk on Sunday morning. You. He is calling you. Because you see, you matter. Don't let anybody tell you anything else. Because if they do, they're lying. Chances are they're channeling their own lack of self-worth. 
When somebody tells you you don't matter, it's usually because they don't feel like they matter. So by telling you you don't matter, they feel more like they matter. It's a terrible way to feel like you matter by comparing yourself to someone else because everyone matters and all of you are part of everyone. Every one of you for the person that you are is infinitely precious, unconditionally loved because of who you are, not in spite of it. Because of who you are. And for a moment, this man at the side of the road must have felt this way. Take heart, get up, he is calling you. How many times had this man at the side of the road ever heard somebody call for him? Him and him alone. So I can only imagine the next part of the scene is a little chaotic and perhaps in some ways to some people comical because it says the blind man sprung up and went to Jesus. He couldn't see. I can't imagine that he paid a close attention to which stones he was going to trip over, the lay of the land as he got to Jesus. All that mattered to him was getting there. What do you want from me, Jesus says. I want to see again. Or I want to see. Your faith has made you well. And it says that in immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Two things that I see in this passage, this piece, this end of the passage that are important for us to get. Yeah, I think he got his physical sight back. But more importantly, I think he saw something more. Perhaps he saw himself as valuable. And he saw everyone else around him as valuable. And then he followed Jesus on the way. Now, some translations translate this as on the road. But do you know what the earliest Christians were called? The way. Because we follow a path. It's not about what we believe in our head or our heart as much as what we do with it. You see, I have come to believe the words that I say to you and anybody who will listen, and that is, you are infinitely precious. You are unconditionally loved. There is no other you never has been, never will be, and that matters. And because I've come to believe that, I cannot say or live like it's not true. That means some of the people that irritate the living crud out of me, who pontificate about hate and everything else, are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. The only instance of themselves that ever will be, and that they matter. We live in a world where it's very easy to feel like we don't. We live in a universe, the bigger it gets, the smaller we feel. When somebody tells you that there's more galaxies than we can count, it 
kind of freaks us out. Because we're not even as, you know, our tiny planet is on the tiny edge of a galaxy itself. Man, in all that infinity, we must be infinitesimally unimportant. And that's not the message of God. The message of God is you're infinitely important. You are infinitely precious. You matter. You hold a space in this. Bartimaeus was seen. This man at the side of the road was seen finally in his lifetime and loved for who he was and invited to the pathway he was invited to. He was invited to see. So today, in, in the way of Jesus, I want to invite you to see. I want you to invite you to see yourself, first of all, as infinitely precious, as unconditionally loved, as a once in eternity instance that God chose to make. God chose to create you as you. God has dreamed about you since before time even began. And now you're that instance. But after you see yourself, I want you to see everyone else that you encounter in the same way. They matter. Well, they disagree with you, but they matter. They do things that you find heinous, and yet still they matter. This world could be a different place. And you see, I think Bartimaeus saw it. That's what he caught a glimpse of. He mattered, and so did everything else. You matter, and so does everybody and everything else. And if you live from a place of being seen and heard and valued, three things, three things that Bartimaeus got in this story, then you are connected. And that connection gives you life and meaning. Your life matters. Live it like it does. Slow down, catch your breath, and live like it matters. We have a video that we're going to reflect on for just a moment. to slow down and to be seen, to take heart. Slow me down, oh Lord, slow me down, help my Bring me 
We take a moment every week to pray. Just a couple of things on my, uh, there, there's a lot of things on my heart all the time, uh, every day. But a couple of things I'll draw up and lift up in our midst so that you can, uh, uh, you can hold up in your own prayer. I encourage you to continue to hold up Craig Albert's family, uh, Dick and Doris. Uh, they're their sense of loss and losing their son, um, who was younger than I am, uh, uh, still hangs heavy. I, I want us to continue to be in prayer for David and for Donnie. And then um, I want to invite you uh, to be in prayer for Appalachia Service Project. Uh, you are sending a team uh, that includes me and uh, several others uh, in July, beginning July the 17th, to Logan County, West Virginia, to make homes warmer, safer, and drier. But I especially ask you to be keeping Appalachia Service Project in your prayers because there are 20 counties that Appalachia Service Project is in this year with over 80 
young adult staff members who are all awaiting, many of them awaiting today's arrival of their first volunteers. They've been in their counties for a week setting things up and preparing and, and finding homes that need to be warmer, safer, and drier. And now that they've done that hard work, they get to welcome and care for, uh, in some centers, more than 80 uh, uh, folks uh, who are coming to work in a voluntary basis on people's homes. So I want us to be mindful of what's going on because when we do the kind of work that we do through Appalachia Service Project, people in Appalachia can feel like they're seen, that they're heard and they're valued. Because Appalachia Service Project is a relationship ministry with construction on the side. At least that's what they say. There's a lot of construction. So there must be a whole heck of a lot of relationship. But it's about making connections and building bridges between people who see the world differently. And it's a wonderful ministry. And I'm so glad that St. James and that I personally am involved in caring for some of those young adults. But I want to especially be in prayer for uh, the summer staff who are out there on the front lines preparing their centers and getting ready to receive strangers who will become friends in the week ahead. So let's be in prayer. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray aloud for us and then we can join together in the Lord's Prayer, a version of which will be on the screen um, behind me or in front of you wherever you are. Let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. Gracious and vulnerable and ever-loving God, we stand in your presence or sit in your presence or whatever we're doing in your presence, knowing you are always with us. This world and our hearts, because of it, feel heavy at times, heavy because of our brokenness and alienation, our woundedness, the woundedness that we feel that we then turn on everyone else around us. We pray, O oh God, for those who are healing, that are seeking healing from you and from others. We pray that you would bring your peace, your uh, peace that passes all understanding, your sense of wholeness into their lives. We pray for the summer staff of Appalachia Service Project. Many of their faces run through my uh, mind's eye even now as I lift them up to you. 
knowing that the work they do is hard and long and filled with love and hope and struggle and exhaustion. And we pray that your strength and courage, your spirit would be upon them. For all of us who are struggling in this world in any number of ways, walk with us. Help us to see one another and to know that we are seen, that we do matter, that our lives are valuable. No matter how infinite the universe is, our preciousness also is infinite. Your love for us is not conditioned on what we do or don't do, but simply you are love and we are loved by you. Help us, O oh God, in our own uniqueness to reflect that love in the way we live and serve you and help us to see ourselves in others. We ask all of this in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus, who modeled for us a prayer that we use right now. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.